1: Hello and welcome to Lovecraft Country Critical. Yes, that lovely, soothing voice you hear is not that of Emma. Sadly, she has Boo. to miss this episode. Boo. yes, yes. Uh, she does send her apologies to everyone, but don't worry because I will do my best to lead you through this episode with the help of my trusty friend and companion, Gaz. And that's, that's all we can do, really, isn't it? That's all anyone can do. That is all ask. we can do. Is just do mm. do
2: our best. And we always do. do our that. best. We
1: always try that. We'll all be here for the finale. So let's just say that right now. You heard it here first. Me, Lucy, uh, well, Gaz and Emma. I haven't agreed to that. Well, you are now live on air. Um,
2: John's coming back, is well, So
1: Yeah, when I say all, I mean, obviously, John, unfortunately, RIP to John. He will not be back Um if he is back he's not dead he's not dead he's definitely not dead but that would be a turn up for the books if he suddenly came back i mean so don't hold your breath i can't see that happening
2: i think to be fair he would have to watch like seven episodes of lovecraft yes before he could come back yeah and i can see i can just hear john's very
1: sort of like oh for fuck's sake sort of (laughs) voice going on when he's having (laughs) to think about that so don't hold your breath Uh, When I say all of us, that's me, Emma, Lucy and Gareth. And hopefully we're all here for the finale next week. So what happens here is we generally review the episode. We're going to give our overall thoughts on the episode. Going to give it a blueberry score, which is our patented rating system. And then we're going to go through the plot. uh, Head over to Cthulhu Corner for any sort of film and horror references that we notice. Maybe anything related to Lovecraft. A couple of book differences and then we'll move on to listener feedback. But first of all, Gareth, what were your thoughts on the penultimate episode of Lovecraft
2: Country, uh, Rewind 1921? I'll tell you in the form of a, uh, a rating system that you have, oh, yeah. have have mentioned, the blueberry rating system. Zero to five blueberries, zero rubbish, five excellent. There can be no halves. Um Harsh but fair, firm but fair. I think like a like a good blueberry. Yes, I, f- I felt like this was a very emotional episode. Ooh. Uh, and I tell you what, Gareth, I'll, I'll stop you right there. One of my first notes: emotional. Continue. There you go. Oh, well, there you go. That's good then. Um, synergy, synergy. Um, but I don't know. I don't know which direction you go after this. Mm. Overall, I've kind of got mixed feelings about the episode. There's there's um, there's some unanswered questions that bug me with it Um, you know like carry over from last week like Mm -hmm. aren't Letty and Tick in any trouble for what happened like I know that the the monster's not necessarily their fault but um, you know white racist policemen in the 50s aren't gonna just go oh it probably wasn't their fault they're gonna be Mm. looking for someone to blame for what happened so I'm wondering what's going on there Um, Hippolyta where's she been Just, just suddenly decides to come back at this point um, but you know, I, I really liked the representation of the Tulsa race massacre. Um, mm. and I think it was done in a, you know, obviously we've spoken about the watchman's portrayal of that event. Um, we've waxed lyrical, yep. but, uh, this was done in a very different way. I thought this was a lot more sort of personal. Um, in the way that it dealt with it, whereas um, Watchmen was more explosive and kind of on a macro level. Um, and, and I mean, that was incredible. And this is done in a different way, and I really liked it. Um, and I liked the continuation of the Tick Montrose relationship throughout. Um, I still am like, dude, can you just tell us why you did Yahima? Like, what's going on here? Um, so, overall, uh, I am giving this three blueberries without wow, that's lower than i expected wow that is
1: that's
0: yeah
2: it's, i'll be honest i did I, I was i we shouldn't really say this in the blueberry system but i was close to giving it four um but i just felt that there was too much that left me uh it, it's maybe more of a, a legacy of the whole the series as a whole just sort of going well i wish you could tell me what's going on here Um, And it didn't.
1: Oh, well, that's interesting. Three. I thought you would. I've never heard a sort of description where I've been more certain that this is just four. This is just going to get a four. (laughs) And then you went three. Interesting. Very interesting. So I do mix it up. Mix it up. Annoy the listeners. No, I'm sure the listeners agree with you. In fact, maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe they'll agree with me. So the tagline of the book, right, is the real monsters of America. And we've talked about this before. And it's obviously highlighting you know, racism in the 50s, right? And in previous episodes, we've been given sort of short horror stories that have shone a light on on issues for black Americans growing up in the 50s. Um, but this horror story in this episode isn't fantastical, really. It is real, like it's a, an event, a true American horror story, right? So I thought that was very interesting. Um, and as we know, and you've mentioned Watchmen, And I know this is true for a lot of people and it's true for us Um, and a lot of our American listeners at the time included who wrote into us to tell us that Watchmen showed us this event or tried to shine a light on this event that, to be fair, was kind of, not I'm not going to say covered up in American history, but wasn't really taught to people, you know, And, and, and we found that fascinating when we're watching Watchmen. And I feel like this show, and they've they've alluded to it all season. They're like, and I've said, and we've said, they need to show us uh, their take on the Tulsa massacre because they've mentioned it so many times. It's such an integral part of history for Montrose and George, and Atticus has grown up hearing stories about it. Like it, it would feel like a misstep creatively for them not to go to this event. Now, I didn't expect them to go hey, we're literally going to travel back to this event um, through time travel, essentially. So that's fascinating to me. I think that's interesting because whereas Watchmen showed us it from a perspective of, hey, this event happened and, you know, it affected some of our characters, this one's taken our characters and thrust them into that event and with the whole thing happening around them. And I thought that was fascinating. So they've really taken the sort of baton from Watchmen, another great HBO show, and sort of run with it and tried to, like you said, it's a more personal story because we care more about the characters that are being shown here. Like Montrose in this episode. Oh my God. Michael K. Williams, that man, he is fantastic. Like I think now, in my opinion, he's the best actor on the show. Like he's stolen the limelight for me in a couple of episodes and and this, I was like, Jesus, I was very emotional watching this episode. I, I, I'd i say it's the most emotional I've been watching the show. So for me, I'm giving it a five blueberry, gaff. Oh, wow. Because it made me feel things that I haven't felt this season. And I, I was sort of like really watery eyed for like the last 20 minutes. And I don't know, like it just got me. And obviously it's very harrowing, very tragic. We'll get into the episode more as we talk about it. But I just—it blew me away. Their representation of Tulsa and the stories they were telling within uh, this setting and this horrific event. So, a great, a great run of episodes at the moment. Like you know, I think it's been really good.
2: I think um, I, I, I understand that as a as a mark for this episode. I think that the mm. the the the, t- the representation of the Tulsa massacre. If if I if you were to score that on its own, I would I'd be giving that a five. The way that they did it. Mm. And I suppose there's nothing necessarily that happened in this episode that took away from it for me. It's more the absence of things that I was hoping for. Hey, that's um, fair. That's fair. Everyone's entitled to their
1: score, Gareth. Everyone's entitled to their score. And we've given, you know, between us an average of four there. So very high praise. Very, very good score. So hope everyone's happy. Um, of course you can always write into us and let us know what you think of the episode you can do that uh, by writing into fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com the email is also in the show notes and as you hear every week we get lots of feedback so please do write in if you have any thoughts about the episode now before we jump into our thoughts on the plot it's time for a quick advert Everybody, and welcome to your favorite show about classic
2: cartoons from the 80s and 90s it's knowing is half the podcast
0: join ray sticanis hi robert clark chan and me gina Ippolito, as we explore the worst and the best but mostly
1: the worst that children's animation has to offer
0: now i know what you're thinking but why would i a grown-ass adult want to revisit my childhood during this time of strife and turmoil when everything is literally on fire Uh, hey isn't this going to sound kind of dated and weird when the world actually calms down (laughs) (laughs) we're all gonna die we've got nearly 500 episodes covering everything from the awesomeness of the entire 80s sunbow series gi joe to the weirdness of cartoon all-stars to the rescue to the weirdness of hey arnold to the weirdness of chuck norris and the karate commando okay gina they get it they spelled commandos with a k
1: knowing is half the podcast find it on itunes stitcher or
2: wherever you get your podcasts
0: if it was in your butt you'd know
2: is there a tagline
1: Yes, advert time here at Lovecraft Country Critical. And if you guys aren't aware, next week is the season finale of Lovecraft Country. That's right. There's only one more episode after this. And you're thinking, how am I going to hear Len's lovely voice, Emma's lovely voice, Lucy's lovely voice, Gaz's lovely voice, and even John's moaning voice? You know, how are you going to hear those voices anymore? Very simple. All you have to do is search "Fan Critical" on any podcast app, and what you'll find is we've got over 220 podcasts on there talking about all kinds of other shows, other films, um, random little podcasts that we've done, uh, and we've got loads coming up on that channel. That is where everything gets released. So if you want to hear us talk about you know future shows that we're going to cover, future seasons of shows, then please do search "Fan Critical" and subscribe on there. Uh, not only that. You know, subscribe on this channel as well, Lovecraft Country. We massively appreciate that. Uh, Reviews, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be massively uh, appreciated. We've had hundreds and hundreds of reviews and that is amazing. We value and appreciate all of the feedback for this show and the fan critical channel. So thank you very much for that. And if you want to go one step further and sponsor us, you can do so at www.patreon.com forward slash fan critical on there you have the option to uh, donate some money to us monthly which helps us produce new content for you guys helps towards hosting costs equipment etc there's different tiers where you can donate a certain amount of money and one of those tiers lets you commission a podcast that is a a huge thing that we've been doing a lot of recently we've got some commissions coming out very soon from some of our patreons and to say uh, of course you do get a shout out and we do have a new patreon gareth oh a new patreon this week There you go. Uh, Kim Ayana is a new Patreon. And we want to say thank you very much for your support, Kim. I know you're a fan of the Lovecraft Country Critical Podcasts. um, And your support means the world to us. Literally now you can get access to all of our cast episodes, which are where we've recast famous films and shows with other actors, usually hilarious results. There are more of those coming in the coming weeks after we get through the Oh, the slog that has been Lovecraft Country, because it has been a, a very demanding show to cover, uh, especially in terms of research. There will be more cast episodes on the way. Uh, so thank you very much, Kim. Thank you for your support and your donation. And I hope you enjoy the bonus content. And feel free to shoot us more messages now, because you can do that on Patreon. Just send us messages, chat to us directly. And more money. So once again, yes. and more monies. Uh, yeah, if you want to uh, be like Kim and become a Patreon and support the fan critical team, that's patreon.com forward slash fan critical the link is also in the show notes right enough of that advert malarkey time to jump into the plot of episode 9 of Lovecraft Country the episode opens with the adults in little quotation marks arguing over whose fault it was that caused this to happen to D. Ruby then says it's all of their faults, and they decide they have to call Christina to help D. Interesting. So we talked. We talked about this last week, didn't we? How they were all focused on their own situation and sort of neglecting D. Um, nice of them to finally realise that. Yeah, a little bit late. Um, now she's got. They'll be late. A little arm. Bopsy and Topsy, or whatever they're called, well, infecting her.
2: You know, remember what I said about the arm thing?
1: Yeah. Could- could be on. Oh, yeah. So Gareth's theory, for anyone who didn't hear it last week, was that um, someone with a robot arm in the future gave Tick the book Lovecraft Country, written by his son, George for- uh, George Foreman, George Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> and George here, take Freeman. one of these grills.
0: <laughs>
1: Jesus. Um, and Gaz's theory was that that is, in fact, D uh, in the future because she will lose her arm. Uh, because of this event. Interesting theory that I shot down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be right, Gareth. It could be right. Who knows? It's definitely got more credence after this episode. Uh, so basically, Christina turns up and she says, look, I'm, will- I'm willing to help you. Right. But what you need to do, Atticus, is you need to come back with me willingly for the autumnal equinox.
2: Will you shut up about that autumnal equinox? Bloody they love hell. that words,
1: don't they? They love getting that in there. I mean, yeah. you know how I said orrery is a lovely word. You know, autumnal equinox has also got quite a ring to it. It's quite autumnal nice. E- what equinox. Sounds a bit like an emo band, though. Yeah, it does. does, actually. Um, so Tick accepts this exchange. It, you know, Christina says, unfortunately, though that all she can do at this moment in time is cast a restoration spell. Um, and when she said that, Gareth, I was like, yeah. well, it sounded a bit like one of our Dungeons and Dragons sessions at this point. That's exactly what I thought. You know, we've got cursed char- cursed characters, cast a restoration spell, yeah. but that will actually, you know, don't want to get into D&D stuff, but that can actually hurt them, Gareth, you know? Well, so that's interesting. if she's being made undead, you mean? Or is yeah. decaying yeah. in some sort
2: of fashion? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, enough of that. Listeners don't want to hear about our, dungeons and dragons uh, sessions well, let us
2: know if you do and uh, you know set up another podcast if
1: you do let us know i i doubt that <laughs> lose thousands of listeners just with that one comment anyway <laughs> they need the book of names to essentially cure d and we'll get on to that in a minute um, because there's an interesting plot that happens of how they're going to get the book of names we then cut to Captain Lancaster, who I've written here, somehow is still alive. I was like, I he mean, got absolutely mauled last week. What is what is that about? What's I thought going he was so dead.
2: It? He's got exploding nipples.
1: Like, how is that a side effect? Uh, anyway, so I've written here, and this is my interpretation, and feel free to let me know if I'm wrong. But it seems that they are using the horrible experimentation done by the crazy Hiram scientist to transplant body parts of... Um, basically black people that they've murdered or experimented on. And I thought that was interesting, like this idea that, oh, because at this point I was like, oh, he might live then because they're, you know, trying to transplant him or something. Um, But then Will Tina shows up and Mm. has an interesting conversation. Like, oh, we thought you were dead. And no, I'm definitely not dead. I'm back and I've screwed you over. And I wanted to watch you die a thousand times, but instead I'll have to settle for once. And then Captain Lancaster is gone. Thoughts, Gareth?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest. I didn't really get the point of this scene other than for it to be a bit gruesome. Um, I guess it's a, a revenge scene for, it's
1: more for Christina's character. That sort of idea that she loved William, I guess, or she cared for William and it's her turning into him to sort of, I don't know, exa- enact revenge. You know, on yeah. uh, on this horrible person. I guess that was just a bit of character development for her slash him at this stage. Okay, that was the way I read it. That was the way I read it. I mean, whether or not you need it or not, because um, I thought he was totally dead last week.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, he he definitely looked it. He had his arm ripped off, and then he was thrown over a, a into house. a house <laughs> yeah that was always, yeah <laughs> um yeah. he's thrown a man into a house what have you ever done um, what have you ever done yeah but yeah i mean look, he's an <laughs> he's he's the most uh hate worthy character in the show so nice to see him suffering a bit
1: um yeah he's a terrible character like i i as i've said before i think i think the show has you know, streamlined some of these characters into very basic forms, and and Captain Lancaster being one of them. I'm not saying that he's a sympathetic or multi layered character in the book, but there's a bit more to him than this sort of evil, maniacal police captain mm. that wields magic. Uh, there's a bit more to him than that. And <laughs> you talking about D and D again? Yeah, exactly. It's a shame that they've sort of just made it quite one track with his character, but it is what it is. Mm. So he's gone. Which is interesting, but, but good, because he's horrible. So goodbye, you horrible, racist wizard cop. Yeah, that's how we will describe him from now on. I've written here, Montrose is enjoying a lovely cocktail, Um, which, you know, it's locked lockdown in lots of places around the world. I'm sure we've all been scrounging our liquor cabinets. Yes, yes. You know, I when I moved house, I, you know, made an bit of a mission to get rid of the dregs of a lot of my liquor cabinet what would you combine um, what
2: would you put together just some
1: tequila had some spiced rum had some white rum i mean i didn't put these all in the same drink because right, it, be okay. it looks. that th- this to me looks like sort of what montrose is having a little go at uh and in his sort of inebriated state he uh
2: he tells atticus that that george might be his father well he has to tell him doesn't he because um they they're like, all right, come on, get your blood ready because you've got to yeah. help D. And he's like, mm, I'm not sure I'm the closest relative. Um, you might be yeah. a wee bit closer. Yeah, and that's in that's that's a good plot plot device to to do it. I mean, it, it needed to be done. Annoyingly, though, Hippolyta turns up immediately after he tells after he tells him. He yeah, must just guided. be thinking, oh, for fuck's, sake, why just. Twenty seconds, an extra twenty yeah. seconds, and I would have been
1: fine. Well, tired. I've written here in my notes, and uh, and this is one of the weak points of the episode for me. Is that she just literally strolls in out of nowhere, and
2: she's just like, "All right, how's it going?" Yeah. See, uh, what's what's wrong with D? For me, for <laughs> me, that's that's a major issue. Like that annoys me, and it's probably cost it a blueberry.
1: I, I think, given the context of what we hear her say in a few scenes' time. I think it's a very underwhelming entrance for several reasons, but I'll I'll get on to that. Um so obviously they need the blood of the next relative to help do the restoration spell on D, which will only temporarily reset the curse. It buys her roughly a day, two days, something along those lines. They use Hippolyta's blood to restore the curse. Uh Ruby then leaves with Christina, telling Letty uh that Will Tina is just trying to help. And then I've put <laughs> in brackets. Sure. Good one. Um, because it feels to me here, I mean, we're going to talk about Ruby and Wiltina in a minute, but, you know, Ruby's uh, very much uh, got some rose tinted glasses on when it comes to this situation, I think. Um, if she thinks this is going to end happily for her and everyone involved, I definitely don't see it being that way. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about her in a minute, Gareth, because I think we can we can really deep dive into that relationship a bit more with the next scene in a, in a minute all right uh, but first first of all let's talk about Hippolyta because she's heard now that they need this book of names the last time they have a reference to the book of names is you know 1921 uh, mm. in Tulsa where they believe that the book burnt with the house um, so she's like right well, that's gone then that's definitely gone you're not that's definitely that gone T- turns out not because they can use the multiverse machine to travel back to 1921. Uh, ah, no, but that's that's broken. That's definitely broken. We're not. We're not she getting back. It. So. She can fix it. She can. She can fix it. She can fix it. So what I'll say is, <laughs> she says some interesting things here, which I thought were you know she says them quite quickly, uh, quite hurriedly. Um, so some people might have missed it, and I thought I'd just bring it up. She explains that she was on Earth 504 for mm. 200 years. Mm. 200 years, Gareth. Yeah. Now we knew a lot of time had elapsed during. Uh, I am the seventh instalment of Lovecraft Country. But 200 years to me is a very long time, which is why I found her entrance to be so underwhelming because say she has been away for 200 years. She's obviously returned for D because she loves her daughter. Uh, Not seeing your daughter for 200 years. Now, I don't know, but, you know, the mother-daughter, mother-child relationship I felt would warrant a bit more of a, I don't know, dramatic, emotional reuniting of these characters. I understand that D at the moment is essentially, um, I don't know, possessed or something. Um, so I don't know. That's why it felt a bit underwhelming to me. It just felt like she was a bit blasé about it all,
2: especially when she's been away for two hundred yeah. years. Well, maybe it's like that sort of Dr. Manhattan type thing where she's now, she's, she's so wise and, um, Uh, and and full of knowledge and yes that that time
1: time is a is just a construct it's uh it becomes a flow and yes okay maybe very very true we haven't considered that she might be like dr manhattan in a way and i guess if you have lived for 200 years and experienced so many different things throughout history and time that that is a possibility so anyone who watches watchmen or knows of watchman law she might have a bit of uh, Doctor Man bit of the sort of psyche going on yeah a bit of the DMs uh, I also wrote here in my notes Gav, it feels very Earth C137 from Rick and Morty mm. like oh, I was on Earth 504 um, <laughs> you know anyone who watches Rick and Morty knows that uh, multi-dimensional travel or inter-dimensional travel is uh, essentially the premise of the show Key concept. Um, and if you if you haven't watched Rick and Morty um, just stop what you're doing right now and go watch it because it is uh, one of the best written, one of the funniest cartoons out there, um, easily. So go watch Rick and Morty. It's it's just the best thing ever. Agreed. Let's deep dive into Ruby and Will. Tina. They have an interesting and frank discussion. Christina says uh, that she still has feelings for Ruby and that this isn't a long con. Then Ruby essentially agrees to the execution of Atticus if she spares her sister hmm. this was uh concerning for me gareth concerning i was concerned here rubes rubes ain't vibing tick is she she's not no into but she... to sign okay to sign off a man's death i think is a step too far i mean yeah you could say like oh, I, don't, I don't think he's a good uh you know role model for this Baby that's going to be born, which is completely unwarranted and un- unfair. Yeah. Um, because she knows very little about him. Um, so I've written here, and this is just me speculating. Is Ruby now playing the long con? Go on. In a way, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with everything you're saying, and then when it comes to the moment, I will try and do everything I can to save him, because it feels to me to, oh, remove this child that is going to be born of its of, of its father, his father, is just a horrible thing so you, to you agree think to.
2: She's coming Will Tina. But Yeah, I'm I'm thing, saying that yeah, go on. The the I appreciate you showing your working there, but the thing that um contradicts that is that she was well, it seems sincerely trying to persuade yeah. Ruby, um trying to persuade Letty to come with her. Um with christina i don't that i mean you know i i think i think you've got a good theory there that may well come to fruition but i don't think that right now ruby's thinking that personally i don't think she's
1: yep well if she isn't thinking that then i have to say that uh the the fact that she's signed off on the death warrant of atticus essentially i find that very disturbing for her character i can't believe how in deep she is with uh christina at this point
2: um i mean she bloody sexually assaulted a man with a shoe there's she's she's got she's got uh she's on the slippery slope let's say Mm. well i hope there's
1: a way that she's gonna redeem herself so i'm you know fingers crossed for the old long con situation that she's you know trying to fool will tina the only way that she can with some sort of emotion if there is this real emotional connection that she believes that will tina has for her then maybe she can use that to her advantage to save atticus in the finale but let's see okay so our host of characters arrive at the observatory and begin fixing the machine um using hippolyta as a motherboard. As she now has crazy future tech in her, Um, they triangulate to Tulsa, nineteen twenty-one. Quick, press the Tulsa, nineteen
2: twenty-one button.
1: Yeah, hours before the massacre began. All right. Well, I've written here in my notes. uh, We we said that we wanted to see the massacre. I know that sounds bad. Uh, but we wanted to see the show's interpreta- interpretation of the event. Bloody hell. Well, they've mentioned it so many times. Yeah. We've, literally every episode, we're like, they have to show this event because the characters have talked about it so much that without the context, mm-hmm. it kind of loses whatever they're saying. It doesn't make any sense, right? So here we are. We're definitely getting that and we're getting it in a whole episode, exploring this time. Um, so buckle up, everybody.
2: Whose idea was it to take montrose along on the trip like he's evidently sort of emotionally scarred by this event it's like hey do you want to come and relive the the most horrific moment of your life
1: yeah i will get to that in a minute because i felt there was a moment coming up that i was like jesus man let's give this guy a second you know (laughs) um we'll talk about that in a minute i mean i was also just a a quick side note i i'm not criticizing this at all because i obviously i'm just thinking from the character's perspective did they have to go to this event could they have not gone earlier than this event like did they have to go to the event like think about it like they lived in those houses for years they could have gone like a couple of years before this the book still would have been there
2: that is such a good point
1: (laughs) (laughs) got photos of them before the massacre like they don't have to go to the so from a sort of character standpoint i was kind of like i understand from a show's point they had to go there because yeah, we need to yeah. be educated we need to learn we need to see this event um but from a character's perspective it's madness to me it's madness um but anyway if you just forget about that for a second that is
2: such a good point like, yeah sorry <laughs> surely one of them would be like I, you know we could we could probably just go to the saturday before like i remember yeah. i went to the cinema and nothing happened like that was yeah. probably a good day. Yeah. We couldn't get it then. Yeah, so that was that was interesting
1: to me because obviously the, it's not like Back to the Future Part Two where they had to follow a specific set of events. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, um,
2: uh, listeners just, and everyone listening, just ignore that fact and just hmm. yeah. No, well, it's fine. I mean, uh, just to sort of um, clarify uh, or expand upon one of the points that you made, like yeah, from a from a show perspective, they do have to go there. And uh, you're right to say about the edge, like we need to be educated about this. I, I remember when we when we did cover Watchmen, the the number of listeners that that wrote into us and said mm. this isn't taught or it wasn't taught when they were at school in America. This event isn't taught in America. Like that is insane. That's that's it was um, covered up for a while. Essentially, is, something...
1: is what is yeah is what I sort of gathered from from what people were telling us
2: i mean put it into the curriculum if it if it isn't if it isn't already put it into the curriculum surely well we've heard a couple
1: of emails this uh feedback from listeners already this season of lovecraft country which says that the curriculum in the states is very much controlled by a certain amount of states and Mm. there's different learning in different states and it's 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 very difficult and um i mean difficult for us to understand i mean how that is a is a way that it's done but it is the way that it's done um so mm-hmm. once again if you have any more information on on their education or why this wasn't taught in schools please do write in you can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com and we'll re- read out your feedback and, and try and take it all in so uh tick let Ian Montrose dress appropriately for the time and <laughs> head to tick yeah. tick's mother's family house to find the book of names on the way montrose starts to panic as he knows what is about to happen this is literally what, what happens the next bit and i know it's because he's a bit drunk because he's been drinking that cocktail i was talking about because he knows he doesn't want to do this because he doesn't want to go and relive arguably the most harrowing day of his life um tick says he's pathetic uh, and says that after this they're done this is a bit much isn't it oh it's a bit much uh look I understand the whole revelation about George potentially being a father, which we still don't know hundred percent by the way um he's clearly got like post traumatic stress from this event um, and it's affected
2: his whole life it's affected his whole life you say you say it's arguably the most harrowing day of his life I mean no, it is the most harrowing day. <laughs> if he's got one that's worse than this, then he's so his like he's sort of His first kind of boyfriend shot in the head in front of him. It's probably his worst day.
1: Yes. So I feel very, look, and we've talked about this before with Montrose, complicated character. Um, Can't excuse his actions from episode four. But at the same time, Michael K. Williams is doing such a fantastic job in this episode, making us, you know, you can see the history of violence that we've been talking about throughout the season. Um, literally in this episode it's perfectly explained to you why there is this perpetual history of violence anyway um, so I've also written here it's a shame that nice moments between them in the last episode are are quickly forgotten because they had some nice reconciliation last week that um, was lovely to see Um, and he essentially saved his son with that spell so
2: it's interesting stuff also just another thing to add is like we we do know that whether or not um, Tick is is actually his son, we know that Montrose cares for him like yeah. a son. Like you know, yeah. he's he's. So it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter in a way. Um, he's yeah, he's extremely I, I pissed off that. at Letty for potentially um causing endangering his, his son's in, life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, he's he's devastated by that. So, um, you know, he he is he is his his dad in that sense. Like, yep, hundred
1: percent so I've written here, this is when the episode gets excellent. Uh, we see, I mean, excellent in an emotional sense, because you know, it, it gets pretty heavy from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Montrose's father, Verton, who essentially beats him publicly in the street with a sort of whipping branch, uh, for putting on George's corsage, mm-hmm. uh, putting in his hair to be precise. Yeah. Um, and I've put, you know, it's a powerful scene because Tick's watching on. They're all watching on and Montrose is sitting there trying to defend his father for beating him. I deserved it. You know, I, des- I deserve this treatment. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, this is, I just mentioned it before. He's, his father's drunk, he's abusive and it's that perpetual history of violence that we've spoken about. Literally happening in front of our character's eyes. Yeah. They're, they're seeing, oh, this, like Tick's realisation must be, I've just, you know, had a go at my dad um but seeing this scene is the most essentially the perfect way for him to see why his father is the way he is you know bit of an an education for him Mm. i i thought this was strong stuff like i was you know this is the start of where the episode really gets into those i don't know deep and very emotive um places that it takes you it took me to some took me some very emotional places watching this
2: so i i, I agree that uh uh it, it worked well on a character level i thought that the actual sort of fundamentals of it like the logistics of it are a bit daft like just having the three of them sort of standing and yeah I, I did think commenting that. along and like uh this is <laughs> you know this is what he means by this is it's like come on <clears throat> this is it's silly. very it's very Back to the Future, though. Very Back to the Future. But Back to the Future is, is going for a slightly different vibe to this. Right. I understand. Yeah. It's that idea that
1: learning from history, sometimes you have to have characters there literally watching the history unfold before their eyes. I, I You know, if someone comes up with a better mechanic for it, then, you know, that's a good thing. But unfortunately, that's the mechanic they have, I guess. So Montrose Slink sort of disappears uh, and they fear that he's going to try and warn George that he'll be shot in Arden, which obviously causes a time paradox. Now, this is the issue when you start dealing with time travel is you're going to have so many instances. Um, you're going to have, have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time. Time travel is no uh, laughing matter, Gareth. <laughs> So <laughs> well, wow. and I've said before, I wasn't a fan of time travel being in this show, and then we were sort of relieved when we found out, look, it's multiverse travel. I was like, "Yeah, I, I completely that's fine. That, that, that doesn't cause any paradoxes, but now they've literally done time travel within their Earth. Let's say their Earth is 101, or something or zero zero one. Uh, they've gone back in time on that Earth, so there could be a time paradox caused here, which we'll get onto later. So they decide to split up, and Letitia is is tasked with getting the book from the family home, which we know is going to be set alight sometime in the next few hours. Where Atticus is off
2: to get Montrose. The misconception um, of what what Montrose is about to do is is interesting, um, and I thought uh, I I thought that he kept. Because he kept, we kept seeing that sort of flashback. I thought that he was yeah. seeing. Um, I, I totally misunderstood this, and I thought George must have got shot um, at this point. And I thought that's what they were talking about. Don't tell him that he gets shot; um, you'll, yeah. you'll mess things up. But obviously, they were talking about at, at Arden. Um, that's what they thought they were going to do, but uh, instead, um, what happens is like it's such a heartbreaking scene. Um, between young Montrose and and and, and his mate um, Thomas, Thomas, yeah,
1: yeah. It's uh, we're heading into that stuff right now. And uh, Montrose, it turns out, wasn't trying to warn George, like you've just said. Is in fact trying to save what we believe to be his first partner, a boy named Thomas, uh, who gets shot after Montrose lies and says uh, essentially that he's not gay and he can't hang out with him anymore because you know his dad's like trying to beat it out of him essentially. Um and we see that this has clearly haunted Montrose for years. Um and and the interesting thing is Montrose is trying to save Thomas and we're going to this time paradox now. And Tick is literally there saying, look, you can't do this because if you go and stop Thomas from getting shot, I won't exist. And then my son won't exist. You know, and I thought the acting here between Michael K. Williams Um, and Atticus I have to say that uh, between Montrose and Atticus that I thought the the energy and the emotion was so raw and it was so they've just had that scene where literally Tix disowned him and then this is the complete redemption of their relationship with with what Montrose says he's like essentially he says you know I've made every sacrifice in my life I've made is to be your father um so if I do this, I know that no matter what happens, I will still be your father. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, conversation. What did you think about the scene here, Gareth, between the two characters? Yeah, I
2: think that last that last bit that you mention is the uh, that's the the powerful line. It's a powerful moment. Um, again, though, a little bit of confusion for me because I thought that was I thought that was incredibly powerful and persuasive from montrose and i thought that he'd convinced yeah tick to yeah i thought him the same it. i thought the same yeah uh, right and and then instead nothing happens and uh, and they don't do anything um until obviously a little bit later but so i'm i'm just wondering what sort of happened in the interim there whether uh, i think whether, what you know... tick
1: says i uh, i uh, yeah i think tick's last line is well you better be bloody sure because and I think then Montrose is like look I can't jeopardize my son I can't do it
2: but it's interesting I ha- yeah I think I think that is probably the right conclusion as we all know you go back in time you change anything step on a butterfly and butterfly you'll change effect. the future so don't don't be stopping people who died because you know what might have happened is if Thomas had been saved then maybe montrose would have been more grateful that he was still in his life and not sort of hidden his homosexuality and there you go just from that immediately no no tick exactly and you yeah
1: it's it's you can't i'm glad they didn't go with the direction of changing history because that would have been that would have been very frustrating and, and and very convoluted Um, So we have an extremely emotional set of scenes um, as we see Thomas get shot in front of Montrose as a child and uh, an adult Montrose watching on. At the same time, Letty is also given the book by Dora's uh, Nana uh, and quite bravely um, accepts that she and all her family must die that night to allow the future to happen the way it is supposed to be. Um, and then I thought, like I don't know about you, but the the sort of I don't know the the, the stuff that was being said in the background here, the soundtrack as it were, uh, and the um, visceral and horrifying imagery of um, her literally burning whilst uh, Letty holds her hand. Of course, she's invulnerable to the flames. I thought this was. This was hard to watch, I felt. And it was um, very. This intercut with um, the, you know, George and and Dora turning up to save um, Montrose from this group was uh, powerful stuff. And uh, as you said, a more personal tale of the Tulsa massacre that that Watchmen didn't get the chance to give us, really. It gave us more of a sort of overview.
2: I've got to say, though, um, for her to come in be ready to shoot letty and Mm. you know she's ready to rock like she she's well up for surviving this this massacre um and (laughs) for a lady to say i'm from the future and yeah um i'm your your like great grandson's girlfriend whatever and for her to then be like all right well i'll just i'll burn myself alive in these flames that's mental. I mean, I get the whole faith thing um, and, you know, that's I suppose that's what they're going down the route of. But I'm not sure how this woman was convinced of that. Um, well, personally. I, I think
1: we need to I think we need to sort of imagine a bit more about these characters that we don't know that much about. But what we do know is that this family line has inherited the Book of Names since the 17th century now we also know that some of them actually practice some sort of magic um we know that this family line knows or at least this character does knows that uh magic is possible natural philosophy in the book or whatever whatever you want to call it um obviously yes time travel was a bit of a leap like i i understand that that is a is a thing but she does give some evidence like oh the birthmark and you know this happens and this happens and you know like you said, it's a question of faith, and this family's faith is unshakable. So they do the honourable thing and and don't change history, so that so that she can survive. Also, she sees Letty not burning at all, so you know she's completely validated in her you know sense that something else is is going on here. Um, but it was just it was just I just thought it was
2: insanely powerful. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if uh, if she was like, can you stay and pray with me? I'd be like, oh, God, I, seeing somebody burning alive in front of me is not top of the list of things to do today. That's traumatising stuff. Yeah, um,
1: we'll talk about this now. Yeah, we'll talk about this now because it's, uh, it's a good time to mention it. Uh, so the, the, the dialogue underneath is this poem, Gareth, which I'm going to play for everyone now. It's called Catch the Fire. Yeah, and it's by uh, Sonia Sanchez in ni- uh, in 1994. She wrote this. Okay, so I'll just insert that right here.
0: Sometimes I wonder what to say to you now in the soft afternoon air... As you hold us all in a single death, I say, where is your fire? I say, where is your fire? You got to find it and pass it on. You got to find it and pass it on from you to me, from me to her, from her to him, from the son to the father, from the brother to the sister, from the daughter to the mother, from the mother to the child. I say, where is your fire? Can't you smell it coming out of our past, the fire of living, not dying, the fire of loving, not killing, the fire of blackness, not gangster shadows, where is our beautiful fire that gave light to the world, the fire of pyramids, the fire that burned through the holes of slave ships and made us breathe, the fire that made guts into chitlins, the fire that took rhythm and made jazz, the fire of sit-ins and marches that made us jump boundaries and barriers, the fire that took street talk and sounds and made righteous in tech raps. I say, where is your fire? The torch of life, and Nat Turner, and Garvey, and Harriet Tubman, and Ella Baker, and Dorothy Height, and Rosa Parks, and Harry Belafonte, and Chavez, and Du Bois, and Fannie Lou Hamer, and Martin, and Malcolm, and Mandela. Sister, sister, brother, brother, come, come catch your fire don't kill hold your fire don't kill learn your fire don't kill be the fire don't kill catch the fire and burn with eyes that see our souls walking singing building laughing learning loving teaching being hey 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 young brother brother hey hey young sister sister here is my hand catch 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 the fire and live 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 live
1: so this poem's used throughout the sort of end scene and it's first of all in the spoken word form and then there's this um sort of new arrangement of the poem which is like this grander uh musical sort of singing arrangement of the poem and it's 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 very powerful stuff. And we've talked about how they've used sort of spoken word situations uh, throughout the season. And for the most part, we've been pretty positive about the way they've been used. Um, it's very mixed reception actually out there in terms of when these scenes are, are used this way. Um, I've read so many different reviews where they're like, they don't like the use of music and spoken word. And then I've read so many that say it's it's really enhanced their viewing of the scene. For me, this one is absolutely 100% on the money in terms of getting the most out of the scene the poem's called catch the fire uh, and as you just heard it's it's a poem that's extremely important to activists today Uh, Sonia Sanchez was involved in like the civil rights movement in the in the 60s Um, but like this this poem is there to inspire activism saying catch the fire notice the injustices around you see the injustice around you Um, which is essentially what Letty is seeing right in front of her face right now and the audience is seeing as they're seeing the tulsa massacre around them so for me like just listening to the words of this poem um the way it's delivered through spoken word and song throughout the whole sort of last 10 minutes of this episode blew me away i mean what did you what do you think about it
2: yeah i thought it worked i think um like overall the the reception of these uh kind of spoken spoken word um poems or or just speeches sometimes i think i think some of them have worked really really well and others have been less successful i would say you know whitey's on the moon was maybe a bit of a miss for me personally we've got, we've got some feedback on that later we've got some feedback
1: on that later oh, yeah. so we can talk about that again yeah, yeah. that'll be good we can um, talk about later.
2: but uh but yeah this this one was 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 really cool um and yeah ca- catching the fire um you know that's uh, obviously there's a very literal um relationship there but but I, I love that like um you know that the, I, I guess part of it is now that the the likes of Letty have gone back to the 20s and seen this massive injustice here hopefully they're even more um sort of they catch the fire they're even more kind of ready to to battle for what's right in their time um you know obviously they have been experiencing some incredible injustices themselves but um perhaps the being there and seeing the 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 massacre will inspire them further and ensure that they continue to carry the fire so to speak yeah exactly
1: exactly and I'll I'll get back to Montrose in a minute, but before we do, I want to talk about the fact that um, there's this time paradox, right? Where Tick is actually the one that saves his father George and uh, his fathers. I've written fathers here, George <laughs> and Montrose. <laughs> Two dads. Uh, and yeah, and his mother Dora by fighting off the mob with a baseball bat and saying "I got you, kid," which is essentially the first scene of the show. Is we saw Jackie Robinson killing Cthulhu and saying "I got you, kid." Uh, And that is essentially the moment that also, you know, once again, sort of back to the future sort of vibe where someone steps in and actually affected the past from the future. You know,
2: Uh, I loved it. Yeah, I love that. This is the this is the confusing part is that um, evidently in the in the already existing timeline. Yeah. Atticus was the one who did that. Right. So him stepping up there. Isn't changing anything about the past because him doing no, that is what exactly. happened in the past. However, exactly. however, there was no reason for him to be there unless it was to get the book. And if they had already done that, exactly, then the book would have been missing from this point forwards. And the book was missing from this point forwards. That makes sense. It's- it's a, it's a
1: time paradox that works. It's it one does of those work. loops that it's, it's a chick, it, you know, chicken and egg. It's, uh, you know, these things that you can't comprehend, you know, what, but you know, it's, it's that sort of vibe. To well, it. cause they,
2: they lost track of the book after the Tulsa massacre because Letty was there picking it up, <laughs> taking it.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, Makes sense. so I, I, I actually like this uh, good moment thing. and the, the, the visual nature of tick saving, um, you know, his father's and, and Dora is very good. And it was it was great. It was great to see it. He is also amazing with a baseball bat. Yeah, he was it. like, it was so good. The choreography here, he was absolutely going to town on these guys. I mean, that is
2: one thing that this this show hasn't shied away from is mm. the, the violent, violent retribution for... Uh, violent for, retribution, yes. For racists. It, it's been very satisfying. Yeah. I've just been watching,
1: and um, uh, I won't spoil it, but I've been watching the boys season two and if anyone gets to the end of that mm. season if you haven't watched the boys on amazon oh my word what a show but there is a let's just say there's a cathartic uh violent retribution on a extremely racist character there and it's um it's glorious
2: well that is a spoiler because so, now when i watch it i'm going to be like right who's the racist character who's getting their head kicked in later <laughs> well i guess it is kind of spoiler, it's
1: not really a spoiler anyway just watch it it's great great show um so I've I've written here as they return to the portal uh we see the true horror and devastation of the Tulsa massacre the streets are ablaze it looks like the apocalypse montrose delivers a powerful monologue essentially to the audience i think gareth i mean i don't know what you think here but mm. um it, he literally reels off like places that were destroyed uh, people that were killed sort of miniature vignettes of horror that happened within the massacre. Um, and as the bombs and flames literally surround Letty, she is getting physically bombed by planes. And we know from Watchmen and doing our research that planes did fly over and sort of bomb this place. Mm. Like it's insane to me just to think that happened. Um, I've written here some truly incredible imagery uh Uh, As Letty walks down the street with the book with her invulnerability and the flames,
2: you know. Yes, but also, hurry the fuck up. (laughs) There's
1: like. I mean,
2: if somebody. I think it's.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she's running. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Shut out the window and say, right, honestly, Hippolyta is seriously struggling. Can you just move it along a little bit? Her hair's turning blue, for God's sake. Hurry up. (laughs) Um,.
1: No, I uh, I think the Montrose stuff is extremely powerful. Like, like it's, it's just, we had this in a previous episode, right? We had the um, Ruby and Christina conversation where Ruby is essentially talking to the viewer going, I want you, to, I'm so fucking tired. I'm fucking tired of all this. I want you to feel what I feel, even though I know you can never feel what I feel, right? Uh, and essentially we're getting the same, sort of thing here which is a sort of meta message to the audience which is like you know this look around you this event happened this was America this is a like I said to you before a true American horror story not a fictional short story that's made up in a novel and they've sort of riffed on it and tried to put the themes of racism within it no this happened this is a true story these people were real people and they were massacred here And I thought that was extremely powerful with the backdrop of this sort of apocalyptic setting. And it's not an apocalyptic setting. That is Tulsa, man. That is like, it's mad. It's mad to me. I mean, obviously, they've taken a bit of creative license with the damage and Letty getting bombed and stuff like that. But Jesus, it was, um, it was mad. It was mad. man. It was, it was.
2: And, And again, for a lot of people, particularly people who didn't watch Watchmen, this might be their first exposure to this yes, as a historical yeah. event.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. We're sort of like assuming that everyone's seen Watchmen. I do that all the time. Like I, you know, mm. but if, if you haven't seen Watchmen uh, and you haven't been taught this in school, then you're right. Like people might be watching this thinking, "Oh, this is this is fabricated," or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's madness to me um but you know what a representation of, of of the event a very personal one like you said the episode ends there as they as they get the book of names back through the portal hippolyta using all of her tech energy to do it or whatever i don't know what's going on there but <laughs>
2: what is going on there what is going on she's turning into a orinthia blue yeah essentially yeah um that's a good take on it very good
1: take on it um and that's the end of the episode, really. Um any thoughts on the episode, Gareth? Any any more thoughts that you want to spew at me before we head into
2: Cthulhu Corner? Um, I think as I was talking through the um what I thought was a time travel paradox, but actually was a mm. time travel completion loop. S- loop. Time loop. Loop a time loop. Loop completion. Um I felt like I uh, felt like I had maybe under, underrated this episode, but I'm, I'm going to stick. I'm sticking with my three bloobs. There's no taking. You have it back. to stick with it. You can't. Um, you can't take it back. No, you can't but, take it back. But it had. But what I will say is, it had some excellent moments, and they were all pretty much set in Tulsa. That um, mm. was that was yeah. a, a really strong part of this episode, and it was sort of that major kind of middle to to late section of it. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I totally
1: agree with you and a few reviews that I've read out there that say, look, there's some unanswered things that have just on un- been swept under the carpet and, like I said, did they need to, from a character's point of view, did they even need to go to this event? <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> Not at so. all. Um, but if you excuse all of that and you just look at it as like, right, what has this episode shown me? What has it done? Um, and the way it made me feel and the way it made me look at this event in a different light to the way that Watchmen had already shown it and when we've read up about it um i felt that it was an extremely strong episode and as i said it was the most emotional i felt all season to be honest with you um and and that's you know that, that's saying something because actually i think that this the show's had some extremely emotional moments and some very good very good moments but i don't know this something about this episode just you know obviously i know what it is but it it was just very strong very powerful and it got to me um so five from me a great episode and i'm i'm very excited for the finale to be honest with you i'm going to be honest with you right now listeners and gareth i don't think the finale is going to be a five i mean i'm taking i don't i don't want to say it's not going to be a five but i just don't see how you made your mind up i yeah i just don't see how they're going to wrap this up in one episode but we'll see yeah. i have you know
2: i'm I I predicting a lot of exposition yeah
1: i mean look we were a bit worried. Not worried about the show, but when we got to episode five, I think we were all a bit fatigued, some might say, with the main narrative of the story because actually I felt like some of the shorter stories were delivering a bit better. But after that GR episode and and now they've gone into this real short story sort of format in a way, um, wow, the show's... I think the show's on an extremely strong run heading into the finale, you know. I think if you look at our scores... Barring your three this week, which makes no sense to me, but uh, <laughs> barring that, they've been fours and fives, so it's um, it's it's going to be a great finale, I think, uh, or at least a great it's a great start to it. At least you know we can't get any better than what we've got. I don't think so. Great stuff from the uh, from the show. And now let's uh, stop talking about this episode in that way. Let's talk about it another way. Let's head over to Cthulhu Corner with not Len this week because Len is, as you can hear, the host. It's uh, it's Cthulhu corner with gas.
2: Yeah, that was a an excellent segue into. Cthulhu Corner thanks Len um, I think when I'm running Cthulhu Corner we we call it Lovecraft Lounge I think that's how it works right, um,
1: right. Well, This is the last time you're doing it so good good, good. Yeah. well we'll see, we'll see.
2: season so 2 we'll stage, is I'll there a season coup. 2 who knows um, yeah uh, no it definitely will be the last time I'll do it after, after you hear <laughs> what I've got for you um, Jesus now, a couple of things A I was told very late that I was doing this B mm. I've had a very busy day <laughs> very busy day yeah um, and C there's probably not a huge amount there so um, yeah I have got a couple of things for you I've got I've got one I'm interested from, one, one of them's from real life though which uh, 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 real life time travel um, first one I'm going to tell you you're going to hate so I'm going to get it out of the way early um Tick, waiting for the stranger to come and save George Montrose and Dora. Um, And then suddenly realising that there is no stranger coming. He is the stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely reminiscent of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Where Harry is... He's he's travelled back in time. And he's watching across the other side of the lake at other Harry who's being attacked by Dementors, he believed oh, he believed that it was his dad had come back to save him when, in fact, uh, he's standing there and he goes, hold on, my dad's not coming. Oh, shit, it's me. I'm the one who has to save, save them. And he goes and saves himself and um, Sirius Black from the Dementors. So very similar vibes there. And I'm sure that uh, Lovecraft Country is inspired partly by Harry Potter. So Definitely not. This, that's a good reference, mate. Harry, I suppose there are wizards, that's wizards reference. in a
1: way, in a way, Gareth, wizards. Um, and there's wizards and, and magic, <laughs> magic in the show. So I will, I will say, as I said before, the show has definitely made it magic, whereas in the book, it's a bit more murky about what it is. And they don't like calling it magic. But hey, let's just make it all camp like Harry Potter and say magic.
2: Fine. Well, yeah, OK, I'm I'll, just saying you watch watch that scene or read that scene. I don't want to watch it. And you'll see exactly what I mean. It's the exact I've same seen thing. It, but I don't. Yeah. So um enough Harry Potter for one day. The other one yes. next one I'm going to tell you on, is is from real life. Um so arguably the the coolest scene um in this episode was tick uh, after he realizes that he is Harry Potter and has to go and save himself. Right. Um yeah. It's uh, when he picks up the baseball bat and goes and beats up all the racists. Excellent stuff, right? Um, imagine if there was a real life situation where somebody took on a whole group of racists with a baseball bat.
0: Well, okay. guess what, Les?
2: There is a real life situation. Um, not a not a, a black man, but a a Jewish strong man called Joseph Greenstein, also known as the mighty yeah. the mighty Atom, because uh, he was because cool. he was little, cool he was quite little, um, but he was like super strong. Um, it's a bit like me. Um, and Jesus. he, he, uh, ended up sort of getting in a, an argument with a group of Nazis, um, mm-hmm. or like, you know, uh, Nazi pretenders, um, and picked up a baseball bat and <laughs> sent 18 of them to the hospital, uh, with varying degrees of, of injury while he ended up with one black eye uh, and that was it. So um, there you go. Pretty cool real life story that has some similarities with that scene. I like that. I like that a lot. That's better than the Harry Potter one. (laughs) The Harry Potter one. Honestly, mate, you're going to look silly here because lots of people like Harry Potter and lots of people say, yes, it was similar. Um, The other thing that I just wanted to touch upon, this is very implicit, um, is just Lovecraft and time travel. Um, yeah, he does. He he did dabble in time travel. A um, couple of stories in particular, one called "The Silver Key," um, and one called uh, "Shadow Out of Time." Now we we've spoken about the the difficulties with time travel and how how it can lead to paradoxes and convoluted storytelling. Well, Lovecraft didn't have that problem because all time travel in Lovecraftian fiction is. Time travel of the conscious being, rather than yeah, rather than the physical being. So um, yeah, that was a, a way that he was able to avoid that problem. But if you do want to read some Lovecraftian time travel, Silver Key and Shadow Out of Time. Um, and that's 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 all I got for you in the uh, in the lounge today. I'll send it back Thanks. over to yeah, you. Not not bad with
1: the old uh, atom. Yeah, he was, the mighty atom sounds cool. Mighty atom. Yeah, he sounds cool. Uh, I will say now for anyone that's interested, because you know, for a long time, time travel was believed to be impossible or against the laws of thermodynamics, as it were. But uh, there's been some recent articles published, I think, by someone here in Australia, Gareth, which has proven that it is possible within a certain. Uh, I can't honestly. I'm not going to explain it to you right now. Maybe search it. Like recent study finds time travel technically possible. Well, um it's interesting. And I, I read it and I didn't really understand any of it, but it sounded very fascinating to me.
2: It's interesting so. that you say it was an Australian researcher because I think if you uh if you go to Tasmania, you are travelling back to the 1980s. So maybe that's what you meant. Yeah, maybe that's the reason. Maybe that's yeah. the
1: reason. No, yeah, so check that out. Um interesting stuff. And now it's time to move on to feedback, listener feedback. You can write to us uh at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com that's fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com the email is always in the show notes let us know your thoughts on this episode let us know what you think is going to happen in the finale, let us know uh, your thoughts on how the Tulsa Massacre was represented and if you've seen Watchmen and if you think the show did a good job any of that stuff, we'd love to hear from you uh, let we have he people us into us know every- Letty us know, that's good Gareth uh, First email is from Julia Christine and she says, hey everyone First off, glad to have Lucy and Emma back. Have missed the banter you all have together. Well, (laughs) She'll be hating this episode. Yeah, no, I thought that was funny because, you know, just lockdown and things have meant that it's just me and you this week, Gareth. Um, But Mm. as I said, we're all going to be back for the finale next week. So no one panic and you won't have to listen to me as much. Um, Now for the feedback. Despite wanting to like Will Tina's character, I'm struggling. And I think now maybe that's the point. I know in the book from what you've said on the pod that Caleb is pretty likable as a character or overall just better than Christina. I really don't think Christina had a chance. In terms of the story, the other characters don't meet her until she's well on her quest to power slash immortality and I think it's completely corrupted her. Her obsession with making herself equal to or more than the son her father wanted has consumed her character completely. When Ruby calls out to her for not feeling anything I think she's absolutely right which is just further proven by the scene where she pays those men to reenact Emmett Till's murder on her. I think she felt nothing while experiencing that and why should she? She's freaking invincible. I felt the scene was unnecessary because as Ruby already said earlier she can never understand what it feels like to be a black person only trying to empathise Maybe Christina would like to empathise, but it's hard to build a conscience from the ground up. As far as Christina's feelings towards Ruby, that's hazier. It seems that part of her wants to care, and maybe that's easier to do in the body of William. Christina, on the whole, feels like an empty character, and if her love for Ruby is in any way real, I think a fitting end for her character would be either sacrificing her her quest for immortality for a life with Ruby. Um... Uh, that's it. Thank you very much for writing in, writing in, Julia. That's an interesting take on on the Will Tina character. One that I'm sort of on board with, to be honest with you. Uh, Gareth, thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're doing we're predicting a lot of people sacrificing things, aren't we, in this mm. episode? Mm. I just imagine it's like everybody jumping in front of the same bullet to save the person behind them. Um, but yeah, no, some good thoughts there. I think
1: Will Tina like and christina as a whole yes caleb is a more likable charismatic sort of character in the book um he's still a dickhead like don't get me wrong he's just and this is why i think that that they've they're sort of keeping the element of his selfishness and they're using that in the Christina character. He's a selfish character. He says he will always get what he wants. And for me, Christina is the same sort of thing here. Like they've they've kept that element of the character, I believe. I think it's all a long con. She's trying to achieve this goal. She's hell-bent on achieving this goal. And she will do whatever it takes to achieve this goal. She even says in this episode, like, it's been preordained that I am going to be immortal. Atticus was doomed from the moment he stepped onto Ardam. I have planned all of this. You know, it's a long game for her. She's, you know, that's why I don't trust her feelings towards Ruby. That's why I think she's a very selfish character. And in the end, she'll always act out of her own interests. So I think that email is pretty spot on, to be honest with you. Um, next up, we have an email from Kat Salomons. Uh, hello. I watched the latest episode of Lovecraft Country, Jigabobo, last night. Late last night, I mm-hmm. uh, thought it don't was awesome and then and then went to sleep. I'm working as a cleaner at the moment, which means waking up at 4.40am every day to go to work, uh, where I work alone. It's still dark outside, and some rooms are dark until they sense movement. Usually, that's not a problem. But now the image of those creepy girls is seared into my brain, and I keep imagining, what if they come round that dark corner right now? Bloody hell. Oh
2: my god. Yeah. Well, that is interestingly, terrifying, so. Len, I think, I think it's confession time for you, mate. Go on you don't which find you them scary, which is one of the most mental Man. things I've ever heard. They are terrifying. Sorry. Look, 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 I'm
1: going to be honest with you. Of course, they're, they're scary. I'm not saying, now look, I'm not scared by it. I've got a very high horror threshold, which is why this show to me in terms of actual horror, not the sort of, you know, fact that the real horror is the, you know, the, the racial themes and all these things. Obviously I'm talking about the sort of monster horror and that stuff to me. Isn't that scary? You know, I I I don't scare easily. You know that. Yes, but certain th- films scare me. But they, 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 I get it. They're they're scary. People are scared by them. They didn't scare me that much. It's not a problem. That's all right. I mean, just get over it. You you need to see someone, mate. If you're not scared by that, well, you know, we've all said that for a long time, so nothing's changed there, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, next up, we have a new, uh, and cat. Just to say, um, you know, I hope the days start getting lighter earlier. To be honest with you, because. I think the clocks are moving forward soon, I guess. If they did here. She's in America. Maybe you're getting a bit more... She's in America. Yeah, they're going go the on. other way, mate. She's... They're, they're oh, going, my God. It's getting darker and long, longer nights. Well, Kat, there's no hope. There's no hope. Just um, stay home. Don't, don't go to the scary hallways. That's all I'll say. Um, next up, an email from Viva. Hi. Love you guys. Thank you, Viva. Oh. And as proof that I care, here's why you're wrong about the supposed failure of the
2: use of whitey on the moon there we go. go You this is fine this is fine i said <laughs> you know for me it didn't work and uh, yeah, other opinions are available i think, yeah, I think you share my opinion to be honest but yeah I,
1: I think before we read this email i will say that i i think it's worked the least out of all of them, but that's just because of the scene it was used over. But at the same time, I understand. Anyway, I'll read the email and then we'll, we'll get on to it. One day after the delivering his stirring, I've been to the mountaintop sermon, which has become famous for his vision of American society. King was assassinated on April 4th, 1968. Riots broke out in black neighborhoods in more than 110 cities across the United States in the days that followed, notably in Chicago, Baltimore and Washington, D.C. In December 1968, after more than a year of popular uprisings in more than 100 cities across the United States protesting racial injustice and a month after the election of infamous white supremacist Richard Nixon, the U.S. government sent a white man to the moon. Instead of addressing the still unrequited demands of the black community, regarding fair wages, healthcare, safety, and reparations. In 2020, as a deadly pandemic sweeps through the global population, disproportionately killing and relegating into further poverty black and indigenous people, especially in the US, uh, my God, have you seen the numbers here? Jeff Bezos has grown his personal net worth by approximately 2 billion... Oh, no, sorry, 2,219 US dollars every day since the
2: start of the pandemic.
1: I think... I mean, it doesn't sound like that much, but I think no, no, no. But, gonna but say, if you were going to
2: say two billion dollars every day, I was like, you're right. You might I think to... that is,
1: no, I, th- I, I know. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just contextualizing here outside of the email. I know for a fact I read an article that Jeff Bezos has made two thousand nine hundred nine, no, two hundred ninety-nine billion dollars since the pandemic started. Right, okay. he's made three hundred mad. billion dollars. That's what I heard. So I think that's what um, Viva's saying here Uh, because he's profiting off the pandemic this is back to the email what does old jeffy giggle about when interviewed about his lofty dreams the fucker wants to colonize space and make celestial resorts for mind-numbingly rich white people (laughs) it's true he does want to in 1955 at the beginning of the american civil rights movement a time when police officers are on call and available to kill negroes on site for daring to patronize a cafe a group of wealthy white men want to sacrifice a black man's body so they can enter eden and close the portal behind them so no undesirable woman negro or poor person may follow i personally had never made the connection between the moon landing and the civil rights uprising of 1960s until i heard that audio over this pretentious white wizard ceremony in u.s schools the two subjects are not taught together because obviously they have nothing to do with each other in any way just unbelievably separate history, historical things that couldn't be less related. Exo exo Viva. Now, Gareth, what your take on that? Because I, I know we have talked about um, before and we did say about how, like, is this I like Viva's mentioned here. I think we did mention it briefly in that episode a while ago. I think it was episode two. I think we mentioned how there's this disparity between poverty in a lot of you know parts of America, and yet how the funding was all put towards the space race and getting to the moon before the USSR, and it was talking about that disparity. After hearing Viva's take on it, are you more swayed to the use of the of
2: the track there? Um, no, because I, I think Viva's expressed it beautifully and, uh, and and done a much better job of explaining. W- you know, what its purpose is there than we probably did. But, uh, I, th- I, I think, um, I think we had heard that before. I, I know I'd, I'd heard it before. Um, and <clears throat> I think we sort of made that connection at the time. We under- we understood the purpose of it. I'm talk I'm talking from a purely audible, uh, like technical perspective. That one didn't work particularly well for me. Um, just based on what was happening, I, I totally get why those those words in that moment are uh, are really clever and 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 why that works at that at that kind of literal level. Um, but from a technical perspective, that's that's all I'm saying. That's the reason that one didn't particularly work for me.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think for me, and I completely respect what you said there, Viva, and agree with you wholeheartedly. I. I un- I get that that's what they were going for now. And like, it makes sense. I think it happened so early on in the season that it stands out more because now it's become this thing that they do every week and we've kind of got used to it more, if you get what I mean. So I think that might have hindered it slightly. Maybe now if we watch that scene out of sequence, obviously it might work a lot better. And then I will say just from a book perspective, um, I was really looking forward to seeing that ceremony because (laughs) it's a bit like weird and um to not see it the way i imagined it you know what i mean with with the sort of music that i had in my head i don't know it just jarred with me at the time but obviously your arguments put it into a lot more context for me um and i appreciate you sending that in and, and and agree with you on on a lot of those points so thank you for that viva yeah agreed um agreed and that's and that's it uh, for feedback this week you can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com let us know your thoughts ahead of the finale uh as soon as the finale's aired right in um you know try and get your thoughts in quickly because we record quite soon after maybe like i don't know six seven hours after sometimes the episode airs um so please do get your thoughts in quick if you want to have thoughts for the finale uh emma will be back next week yeah and I yay and so will lucy and Yay. i just want to thank gaz gaz for being with me today you're welcome mate well hosted good fun good discussion great episodes and so far a great great season of television let's hope they can finish it in a very satisfying uh fashion and on that note i'll say goodbye bye
2: goodbye.